Welcome to Ladywood, where two huge fans of Deadwood and one newbie, that's me, discuss the show through a feminist lens. My name is Sita Sean. I'm a stand-up comedian and writer. My name is Brandi Sperry. I'm also a writer here in L.A. And I'm Lynn Sternberger, and I'm a TV writer. So today we'll be discussing the 10th episode of the third season, A Constant Throb, written by W. Oral Brown, who's Dan Doherty, and directed by Mark Tinker. So this first aired August 13th of 2006, with Bullock out of the camp and Ellsworth on the Garrett claim, almost survives a close call involving Hearst's hired guns, only to receive help from an unlikely source. Swerdon responds to a message from Hearst by killing his messenger. The relationship between Joni and Jane deepens. Oh my god, you guys. I watched this twice. I skipped the credits both times. I had no idea W. Earl Brown wrote it. Did you really not? I had a literal jaw drop just now because this episode (laughs) is so good. (laughs) Like, finally an episode where, like, there's a good storyline throughout that carries through like a real episode of TV. I love this episode, too. The shooting at Alma is so tense mm-hmm. and it leads to such interesting actions throughout the episode. I just love like, like love everything about it. Uh, not to mention, I could tell that uh, Dan wrote it, W. Earl Brown wrote it, uh, because he gave Dan a new outfit and a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman that he wanted to fuck who doesn't ride a stagecoach. <laughs> yeah, because she, she vomits. I was like, he really thought it, out, but he was like, I, I want to get out of my disgusting shirt, so I'm going out of town, and then the whole plan gets kiboshed because Alma's getting shot at. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm still stunned. I mean, I'm not surprised that W. Earl Brown is a good writer because he's he writes things online all the time that are great, but I just didn't mm-hmm. know. I, somehow this detail escaped me. Well, I'm so glad that we could share that with you. This is a, it's a, a, another weird cold open that seems unrelated to anything that we've seen, which is that Sai has been prodding his wound and Doc Cochran is like, stop self-inflicting uh, your harm here. I'm going to fucking never come again. You know, the only reason I liked this is because like we said on the last episode, you know, at the end, he sort of goes to Joni, who also is like an old wound for him, and he's like picking at that. And then at the end, he realizes, he protests that he has somewhere to go when he doesn't really. And and to me, that's like, this is the next pathetic step. Like, he's like so lonely that he has to like wound himself to get the doctor to come and talk to him. I feel like you really understand Sai far more than I do. And again, wow, I, I like that. your interpretation. Perhaps I'm being generous. Perhaps he's just being a shit heel but <laughs> no i feel like that's a really good read because they both uh, they both cause him pain well i guess andy isn't totally related to both things but i was trying to think of other threads that you could connect to it He's um but I wanna... emotional pain physical yeah yeah exactly he's a cutter size so a teenage girl in like death plains illinois <laughs> <laughs> But let's go back to Alma's shooting. The things I like about it are we get, uh, so once Alma's been shot at, we have basically uh, Al's men sort of like swarming in, getting her into the gem. 
And then for safekeeping, they keep her at the office, uh, at Al's office with Trixie to watch over her. And then Jewel kind of comes in delighted to see Alma. And that's when we get a reveal that all the women of town are like fascinated by the widow. Like they all are like kind of making up fan fiction-y things about her, which I really enjoyed. Uh, from yeah, the we got Eagle. another scene with the prostitutes. It's very rare that they get to speak with one another and have opinions. And uh, I think this is maybe one of the first times it's happened in an episode written by a guy. So yeah. I was like also very impressed by W. Earl Brown's choices there. Yeah, Jen is convinced that if only the right opportunity arose that Alma would speak to them. And it's it's kind of sad to think that that's really like the level of respect that they're craving, that she would just deign to even have idle chit chat for a moment with them. I mean, I love an episode like this where everybody is, it's, you know, the Deadwood equivalent of stuck in an elevator. <laughs> where it's like a center of operations and people who don't normally interact get to interact. It's delightful to have that scene with uh, Jewel, Jewel and Alma and Trixie. That was such a cool little trio, especially the way that Trixie and just lies to Jewel to like please her. Mm -hmm. I love that. But then ultimately Al makes this kind of brilliant decision, which is that to fuck Hearst over, they have to send Alma back out into the thoroughfare and she needs to complete her journey. And the tension is wonderful. The tension is wonderful. And it's just, it's genius because you have this very, very simple goal, finish the walk to the bank. But it implies so much about who has the power in the overall huge situation and what they're going to put up with. And I just, I love that as we move to that moment, she's going to complete the walk to the bank. We get uh, great scenes with her in Ellsworth, with Ellsworth and Dan, with Al and the Hearst's new man who comes over, and then all of that plays out very dramatically. I mean, this is just a really well-structured episode. Mm-hmm. I like I like what you said about the simple goal, but it was a simple goal that was really difficult to execute, right? Because yeah. as Alma's walking, well, first of all, let's talk about the men in her life. The two most important men in her life are Ellsworth and Bullock, both of whom would like die basically to defend her from any harm. So Al effectively incapacitates Ellsworth, like basically hog ties him. <laughs> well, Dan does. Mm-hmm. Dan does the dirty work. Trusses and then him up. Trusses him up like a Thanksgiving turkey, explains everything to him, and which was also an elegant way to sort of get us to understand the motivations of mm-hmm. Al and company, and then sends the telegram to, to Seth Bullock right away. But then the walk itself is actually pretty complicated too because we can see that base uh that it's like every 10 paces al has sent like a man his man on the street to guard alma mm-hmm. and we see like all the characters that we love like every 10 paces she's glancing at the trying not to betray how nervous she is and then she finally completes that walk and that tension like just was so good it was just so good mm-hmm. I, was, I was like squealing the entire time also she looked really beautiful like, I don't know if anybody else noticed how, like, banging her outfit was. Ooh, Alma, that loosened corset really <laughs> becomes you. I just like her being brave. That's a good note for her. Mm-hmm. She wears it well. Totally. Side note, um, I'm watching the show on HBO called Gentleman Jack. Oh, me too. Oh, okay. And um, have you, I don't know if you've watched the third episode. I don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't seen yeah. it. But 
it's like the furthest thing from Deadwood, so it seems. However, there are some very funny coincidences that regard pigs and cutthroats and hog tying and that's all (laughs) all right i'm gonna have to start watching the show the historical utility of pigs the historical (laughs) utility of pigs i was like i think that sally wainwright the creator and showrunner of gentleman jack may be a deadwood fan or maybe it's just a really clean solution (laughs) you know maybe hbo just has a bunch of like pigs that are sort of in their contracts (laughs) they have them on retainer they have like a stable of pigs that are like, you got to work these pigs in somehow. We have to yeah. we have to figure out how to use them. The storied HBO farm, of course. So the body that has to go to the pigs in this episode is Hearst Newman. Again, Barrett, I think is his name. That sequence is also so amazing. I do feel like it's good to see Al cut a throat again. Is that bad <laughs> that I feel that way? I think no, he needed didn't it. didn't do anything in the previous episode. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, he needed it to feel like himself. And then when he is bullshitting Hearst out on their balconies and is not even really trying to sound like what he's saying is true, I feel like that's part of the game as well. Although Hearst, he seems to take in what people are saying and then ha- need some time to mull it over, whether or not he thinks that he was being bullshitted or not. Maybe he's just not used to being bullshitted so much as he has been since he came to Deadwood. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably right. It's funny. I was explaining Deadwood to a, f- a friend who'd only ever watched the pilot previously. They asked me if Al was the villain of the show. And that is a very complicated question to answer, I discovered. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, kind of for the first season, but he's more just a protagonist that cuts throats. I don't know. Um, you love him by the end? It was all like with a question at the end of it. I, um, like I've come around on Al so much, you know, over the course of these seasons. Well, because there's so many worse people in the world. Like Al almost becomes a small fry villain by season three. Like By season three, we just like, we're like, oh, Al's one of the good ones, you know? He's not like, uh, I don't know, killing Cornish union people and putting in a bunch of Asian whores in the camp. You know, like relatively speaking, Al's like, you know, enlightened. (laughs) Right. And some of his moments, I mean, the throat cutting here is like, it's an intense moment, but you understand why it's a move to make. But some of the other stuff that he does that's like little petty asshole shit is like played for laughs at this point. Uh, Again, he punches someone in the face when they have barely done anything. He punches Adams for mentioning Hawkeye again. And I'm like, this is becoming a comedy runner, him punching his henchmen for minor, (laughs) minor things. Also, literally nobody cares about or remembers who Hawkeye is. And they keep talking about him again. Now I'm like, is this some weird inside joke with the Deadwood writers? Like, I think it might be. All of a sudden, Al has all this information about Hawkeye and what he's doing in Cheyenne and who he's doing in Cheyenne. And I'm like, why would he know or care about any of this? Yeah. Um, guys, let's talk about gay shit. Yeah. I've been waiting, 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 waiting so long. It is a very Shakespearean moment. When Jane is recounting to Joni this dream that she had about Charlie Utter. And I had to watch it a couple of times. uh, But the point that she's making is basically like you don't know what the what the end of the story is when you're in the middle of it. And it might seem very like 
bleak, but there could be some sort of happy ending. And it's a very weird way to basically propose to a girl that you hook up. Well, and not just that it might be bleak, but I think more specifically the examples she keeps conjuring up are times she was paralyzed by fear, but ultimately did take an action. Yes. And so this is is what she's saying is basically like, I am scared. I'm very scared of what's happening between us right now, but I want to move forward. But the fact that Joni understands that just, you know, is, is delightful. I'm, I'm happy for them. And I, and I want this to work. It's like they don't have any other encumbrances. So maybe, maybe one couple can be happy in Deadwood. It's a really remarkable piece of acting from Robin Weigert, too. I know we're huge Jane fans here, but I think it's, it's nice to call out that when she gets these longer emotional moments, not just the sort of funny outbursts that we associate so much with her. Uh, She really digs in and does a lot with it. And she did it all while talking like, you know, a drunk kind of, it, it was, I imagine be a hard speech to deliver in that character. Yeah. With the affectation of voice that she has to keep the whole time. Absolutely. Yes. In sort of like, unpleasant domestic land Seth is a fucking mess we get this weird scene at the end of the episode where Saul is over for dinner and it's Seth Saul and Martha Seth is just like clutching the table and and has glazed over distant eyes that and I I guess we're supposed to take it to be is just the tension that's ratcheted up because of Hearst and the unknown his uh, like apoplectic anger that something could have happened to Alma while he was out of town but then yeah. he's like trying to sit at the table normally. There's a look that passes between Saul and Martha where Martha's just like, he gets like this sometimes. And Saul's like, I know. <laughs> so it much like, said it in a look. Like the, the unblinking stupor of rage, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, oh man, he's about to do something stupid. That's the look on his face when he does something stupid. Uh, it was, it was a strange note to end on it. It mm-hmm. did feel like this was like the episode in which Bullock was pretty much the most absent since the whole series started. Yeah, I think it would have been too messy to have him there. I really think it was an actually a really good choice to not have him there when the shooting first happened and to be able to have all of the plotting and maneuvering happen with him still on his way back and yeah. with Al knowing that they need Seth's bravery, they need his skills but that ultimately he can be a liability as well he sort of says that in the talk about whether they can possibly outmatch or even come close to matching Hurst yeah I think this is also the uh, I want to bring back uh, to Alma's uh, attempted assassination when Al figured out that that Hurst is doing some of this because he's bored and I think the reasoning for that was really interesting too because he learns from Barrett that uh, the fight with Dan between Dan and uh, Captain Turner basically that George Hurst had told Captain Turner to make it last as long as possible instead of try to win I mean Mm -hmm. I think the win was presumptuous on George Hurst's part but from that Al deduced that Hurst is the kind of person that wants to see violence and wants to see something happen. And so he was willing to basically put his man at risk in order to see something happen. And then her, uh, Al essentially had the same 
thought about Alma, like the the sort of picking off of Alma. He could have killed her, but he didn't because he's waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And I thought it was like such a weird, I, like that character motivation is like, what is, what is hers up to? Is he just so powerful that he just doesn't care and he's willing to lose men and he's just like out there for his jollies to fuck with the people of Deadwood because he hates it so much? Al is pretty good at human psychology. Yeah, and I think the script really puts a moment in there to tell us, hey, Al is right, because right after the confrontation on their outside verandas, when Hearst is upset, wondering what happened to his man, he goes down and harasses EB for no reason and spits in his face twice. And then there's a line in there that definitely does reflect on what they're saying, which I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like, I I desire an outcome and the waiting is wearying for me. So he is just kind of trying to entertain himself. And while he still doesn't know how to obtain the claim, and while, you know, we're reminded by Jari, the elections are still looming. And until we get to the point of elections, everything is going to stay in the air. Mm -hmm. Although he says, you know, elections don't matter because either they reflect my will or I bend my will or they bend things to my will anyway. Yeah, that was a power top conversation <laughs> elections do not inconvenience me they ratify my will or i neuter them like geez. oh yeah 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 neuter them is even more sexual yeah he loves the language of dicks yeah mm-hmm. he does he, and and it was like that chicken thing before <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think of him as like a kid with a magnifying glass trying to burn up the ants there's some other minor plots that I guess deserve brief mention. The theater troupe is uh, at odds with one another because Jack has announced that he's adding a uh, potentially a French dancer to his troupe and all of the other performers are kind of rattled by that. I guess they were like looking for some levity in this episode. I don't know. Who the hell are these women? Because there's not just a French dancer, then there's some other love from his past that also showed up for the amateur night. And then we have two different scenes of Langriche having to explain to some women that he's throwing them over for a new French dancer. It's so weird. This could have been excised entirely. Um, Khan is trying to bone Claudia again, one of the actresses. Oh, Claudia is turning into the no, new Joni with the just sitting around her room being depressed. Yeah, we didn't need that really. No. And then... Sai hires and in at the same time belittles a new prostitute named Janine slash stupid. <laughs> Another scene that we really didn't need and that felt confusing to me in this particular episode that was so tight on this other storyline. I would have rather just not even seen a bunch of the side characters and just really focused on what was going on with Alma and everyone with this shooting. I 100% agree. I think they tried to service everybody because they're pals. and. You know, the more episodes you're in, the paycheck and the, but honestly, we could have done without. And the Psy thing in particular, I mean, I despise the man, but this, everything that he said was the least feminist moment for me. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to repeat it. It's all trash. On the other hand, I really liked what all, what, oh my God, I just realized that Al and Alma only have two letters of difference in their name, but what. What Al tells to Alma, it's hard being shot at, never gets no better. (laughs) 
I found that hysterical. I liked in their conversation all the throwbacks to past things, the tea, the swearing, you know, it was like how far they've come since their first interaction. Oh, completely. I was surprised he wasn't like, I ultimately did you a favor with that first husband of yours. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think they both understand that he did her a favor. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Do we see Aunt Lou at all in this episode? Uh, No, we don't really see Aunt Lou. Um, We get like a weird O'Shaughnessy scene and Langrish. Then uh, I think... John Langrish's uh, mistress side piece like ends up leaving town because Langrish won't acknowledge her. Again, what connection to the rest of the cast? I do not know. It's silly nonsense on a show that at, at, at certain moments in an episode is transcendent. But it put me in a good mood for whatever is left to come in the in the two remaining episodes and a movie. Really definitely has me optimistic about the last two episodes, which I think, if I'm remembering correctly, are are quite action-packed as well. So, And they did it back in the day when your episodes were an hour and not an hour and a half Game of Thrones. I mean, both of these are like 46 minutes or something. Yeah. I mean, we're talking efficiency. Incredibly efficient. Uh, I, I guess that's they're able to do it because all of their characters are so fully formed. They can just mix them up and interesting things happen. Totally. Anyways, what a great episode. Funny little title that it had. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, wow, what a good title. And then I, it has to come from fucking Con Stapleton's sexual proclivities. I was like, you ruined it. You ruined the good title. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we will be back in a couple of days with our next uh, episode, 11. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. And you can find us individually. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. I'm at WeeBrandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. And I'm at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And thank you so much for listening. 